Welcome to the Urgent Care Leadership Podcast. I'm Llewellyn Horwitz. For the past couple of years, the Urgent Care Leadership Podcast has featured individual leaders that have been shaping our industry, and it's been great. But starting with this episode, we're going to shift our focus. As Urgent Care has become a major player in the delivery of healthcare, we've recognized the need to ensure that we are always included in national, state, and local planning that affects us, and that means advocacy. So we're going to spend some time on the podcast exploring how that's done. I'm really glad you're here, so let's get into it. In this episode, I get to talk with Selena Gurley, Director of Accreditation at FastPace Health. FastPace was founded in 2009 and provides urgent care at over 250 locations in Tennessee, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Indiana, and Alabama, primarily to underserved rural communities. Selena joined the organization in 2012 and has served in a variety of operational and clinical leadership roles. She actually started her career in nursing in rural hospitals, and she's been active in the Urgent Care Association's accreditation work for several years, and most recently has become the chair of the Quality Programs Committee. But we are not going to talk about any of that today, because for now, the Urgent Care Leadership Podcast is dedicated specifically to advocacy. So today we're going to talk about her other volunteer role at UCA as the chair of our advocacy committee. Selena, I'm looking forward to learning why you agreed to chair this committee on top of all of these other things, not to mention how you pull all of this off. So thanks so much for joining me today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Llewellyn. I appreciate uh, you having me as a guest today. And I'm so excited to talk about my work with UCA and the advocacy because advocacy is such a passion of mine. And I remember starting as a nurse in rural hospital settings and being an advocate for patients. And then fast forward 12 years or more and being a clinician with UCA advocacy and being an advocate for urgent cares who then are advocates for patients. And so being that speaker for them and that representative for them, I'm so passionate about that and so excited about taking up for what is right and how to grow access in healthcare and and just doing what's right for our patients and for our urgent care centers. So tell us a little bit about how specifically you got involved with advocacy at UCA. Yes, thanks. I was a member of the Thought Leaders, which is now known as the Strategic Advisory Group on behalf of my CEO and loved it. And kept raising my hand for opportunities as they presented and it just kept growing and growing and the need grew and the team grew. And then I was given the opportunity and actually the honor of becoming the chair of, of advocacy. Glad that you are. Um, Before we jump into kind of what we've learned so far, let me catch up everybody on where we are with the advocacy strategy and even how we got there. We did a member survey in 2022, trying to make sure that what we were going to go after were our top issues. And so the results of that survey uh, were overall reimbursement issues. Um, a lot came out about post-COVID challenges and addressing healthcare disparities. What was urgent care's role in that? So we talked through all of those priorities in detail with assorted stakeholder groups, over the subsequent months, trying to figure out what we should be taking on, we we decided that the COVID issues would come off the table. They were short term, not everybody was having them. Um, and we really wanted to make sure that the work we were doing would benefit all members. And so we we took that off the list. And as we were, as we'd been talking with CMS and HHS throughout COVID, 
one of the things we'd realized that they didn't really understand urgent care's capabilities at all. So we had to split our thinking and strategy around that first re- you know, overall reimbursement into first educating everybody on the basics of urgent care. Then we could shift to advocating for fair payment. And that's kind of where we are now. We also realized that we didn't have any data on how urgent care was doing in addressing healthcare disparities. So we needed to spend some time doing some research on the industry before we incorporated that prominently into our advocacy strategy, which is what the DEI Commission has been working on so far. And and so far, the news is pretty good. So that, that's been great to see. And you'll be hearing more about that um, in the year to come. So we're back to improving reimbursement as our number one focus. And the board committed to this as well. So we had to spend some time internally getting educated on all the different ways that we might accomplish improved reimbursement and who controlled all of those different pathways. Then we were ready to engage a lobbying firm because we didn't want to do that until we really knew what we were doing. And after much due diligence, we chose McDermott Plus. Uh, We're going to have some of the folks from McDermott on our next episode. So we'll talk more about them then. But McDermott has helped us understand the path to figuring out which of the strategies we were considering was going to be the best because we want to affect change, as I said, that's going to be applicable to the entire industry, just not hospital loan centers or one region. And we we settled on the work that urgent care does and can do in keeping people out of the emergency room because that's where we're really impactful in lowering costs and improving access, which is high on the list of the federal government. So we pulled together a ton of resources from every article ever written about urgent care and ED diversion, pro or con, and created a formal briefing from that, as well as a resource library that we can use um, going forward as our arguments evolve. And McDermott started getting us some meetings internally with their folks who had come come into McDermott from CMS um, to help us understand how CMS works and thinks. And then we have have started having meetings with different divisions of CMS as well, so we can see who might be interested in taking up this cause. It's still early on in this, and we've seen so far that just like during COVID, everybody in the federal government thinks urgent care is great, but so far nobody has been willing to make this a priority. So we're going to move to sort of plan A, a and a half to come at it from a di- an additional direction to obtain additional influence to nudge CMS to choose to make this a priority. And that that is where we are today as we go into a lobby day on the Hill next week. And Selena, you've been part of this from the beginning. And as we've gone through all this process of developing the stat- strategy, what's like the number one or two things that you've taken away from all of this work that it's taken us to get here? Well, Llewellyn, I've actually been very pleasantly surprised at the positive response that we've received during our meetings, because you always think CMS as the big bad wolf, right? Of like, you know, we're working against them and they're not aligned. We're not aligned with what each other wants or needs. And I did not find that to be the case. They were very engaged, very happy to speak. Um, and even further recommended other divisions that we needed to contact to support our message. And another thing I, I found out and realized is that a lot of the work, it, nothing goes fast. And so I, I really encourage people to have patience with this process because traction is happening. It just may not be as fast as what we would like it to be but the wheels are moving. So um, that was a takeaway from myself because obviously we like things to happen and kind of an instant gratification, but that's not, that's not necessarily the case in this, but patience is definitely um, 
warranted, but, but the work is, is happening and it's great. Yeah. I was just talking to some folks um, in the Northeast about this and how our today selves really wish our 10 years ago self had started this work and stuck with it because it it's very hard to stay with it for the long time that it's going to take. And so it's, it's encouraging to me to hear that you also are seeing this, that it's going to be a journey. Absolutely. But it's one we have to stay committed to and keep going to, or our 10 years from now selves are going to be very upset with us. And so <laughs> we're not going to let this go. No, I would agree. It is definitely a marathon and not a 400 yard dash. That is yep. the absolute truth. Yeah. If it turns out to be one, that's a race I want to be in. But uh, <laughs> so far, it's not. I think one of the other takeaways for me is that, you know, we did a lot of work up front planning to go with a very, very specific solution of, and you all may have seen some things and as we've been talking about advocacy of, let's get the definition of place of service 20 changed because everything keys off of that. Um, and I think we've learned in our early conversations with the people who used to be at CMS or are now at CMS, there's lots of different ways to get here. And ultimately, it's probably not going to be us that decides. Um, we're seeing them latch on to certain things like certification and accreditation. I don't feel bad that we did that work because we we do the things that they're considering or things that we've considered. So we're really knowledgeable about all of those different um options and therefore we'll be able to be careful about the ones that we buy into if they come up and we'll be able to weigh, raise red flags if you know if they start to go down a route that's going to be extremely cumbersome and not not as helpful but that's been a real eye opener for me too is we don't have to have it 100% figured out that CMS knows CMS way better than we do and so they have really as you said they have good ideas about different ways that this can get done that we wouldn't necessarily even think about. So, and I would even add, Llewellyn, is on the certification and accreditation um, efforts that we've put into. Um, you know, I, I think we're—I don't want to say we're ahead of time on that because obviously everyone hears the verbiage value-based care and quality and such coming in. So, I think that 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 will get us ahead of the game once we have to address that. Uh, going forward. So that I don't think that effort was uh, in vain at all on our part. Yeah. And I think that's something we've kind of been quietly saying that we probably need to say a little bit louder to the industry of there's going to be a ticket to ride here. You know, we're not going to put in CMS or or commercial payers are not going to put in a, a magical here's a big pile of money, come and get it kind of scenario. Um, there's going to be a ticket for that. And I think that it is going to be at a minimum certification. And so I would really encourage everybody to go ahead and jump on that, whether it's with others, us or someone else or accreditation, because I, that's going to matter down the road. We're, we're, we're hearing that in every conversation that we're in. There are going to be criteria for that. And so if you're not looking at it and not preparing for it, it takes probably probably a good year to get ready and, and get everything in place. And so even if you never pull the trigger on accreditation until it's needed, I really encourage you to take a look at it and begin that work internally so that you're not a year behind. I think the the centers that have already done that are going to be far ahead the one of the ones that have not once these tickets or sticks come in front of the carrots. I agree. Preparation, proactiveness is never a, a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. And it it helps your operations a lot too, which is obviously yes. a, a really good benefit while you're along the way while we're waiting for that carrot to get grown. As, as you've worked with McDermott and have learned so far, how what are some of the things that you have learned about how things get done in advocacy work and in Washington? Um, I know we talked about 
speed not being not being there. What else have you learned? Well, I have learned and and just like anything, relationships are so important in any just networking. The way that you have to build upon those relationships for people to get on board with you and advocate with you and showcase that importance of that networking at different levels. And so we may know someone at, you know, ground level who knows someone at level one, and you have to almost climb that ladder to get to those decision makers and those people that are in front of other audiences that can help push our initiatives and push what our agenda is to make things happen. And as you know, building relationships is not anything that you can do quickly either. And so we're really really leaning on McDermott Plus and their relationships that they've already built in that network. Being there on the Hill in their office with in, in, in day-to-day meetings with these people has really been instrumental in us getting ahead of that curve to where we're all pulling our networks together. And I know you've even done that, Llewellyn, if you've reached out to um, industry leaders as well to help get who they know and the congressmen and congresswomen that they work with and things like that. So um, there's a lot of to put into it. it. It's a lot of work. So and, and I definitely appreciate that very much. Yeah, I think we've learned, too, because McDermott Plus has relationships with other healthcare organizations as well. They're able to kind of try out some of our ideas on other stakeholders for the, the patient base that we serve and test and see where our, op, you know, where's opposition going to come from, where support is going to come from. And that's been an, an added benefit I didn't anticipate of, of working with them. I think you brought up something really important, though, for all the members who are, you know, maybe thinking, I'm so glad I don't have to do anything because UCA is doing this. That's not the case because the relationships that you were talking about and the time factor that, you know, the extended time frame on this that we've talked about the people that are on the ground, as you say, are very likely to be the people that are in the Capitol building by the time any of this comes to any kind of a vote. And so building those relationships with whoever your influencers are in legislative or, or the regulatory world locally could be hugely important in a couple of years. Climbing up the ladder, as you say, but those people in particular could be you know, your next senator who happens to sit on the committee that we really need. And if they already like us because we've been friends for five years, that could be the vote that makes a difference. No, you're absolutely correct. And 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 I'm very fortunate to have a phenomenal team and work for a uh, company that is very invested in the urgent care market and industry and in UCA. Um, but I know that not everybody or every member has the ability to do what I do with UCA. But we're always in need of member investment. And that investment can be in time. That investment can be through fundraising. You know, we appreciate anything that any member or urgent care has to give or has to invest with us because it all matters. The way it's like building an army going to battle, like you have everybody has their job, everybody has their input and it all matters. And so um, anything that people are willing or able to invest is is very much helpful and appreciated. Every single person that you can recruit to to the cause is going to end up yeah, raising a sword, as you say, Um 
to, to, to do this for us when it comes down to it. And the bigger that group can be, the better. Um, and I appreciate you saying the saying the comment about fundraising. We want to be able to keep working with McDermott. You know, member investment can come in the form of, you know, straight up financial support and investment in the advocacy programs through becoming a UC advocate. It can just be in renewing your membership to make sure that UCA can still be here, that you're coming to the convention and supporting the things that we do. It can be in responding to a survey when we answer your question. You know, all of that engagement matters, as you said, and that I'm really glad that you called that out. And I really want to add, Llewellyn, I know that there are people that are listening today are, are looking and reflecting at themselves of like, you know, I'm just one location or I'm 250 locations. One location matters. Everyone matters. Everyone has a voice. And UCA advocacy does not just speak to the 250 or more. UCA advocacy is speaking on behalf of you out there that have one single clinic. So we are are doing it for all. And so don't feel like that you don't matter or you don't have anything to give because you absolutely do. Could not agree more. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of what is obviously a very full professional life between your profession and UCA. I know that we're all learning a lot as we go, but I truly believe we have the right team and are committed to getting improved reimbursement for our members. And so we we are going to get there. It has been great spending time with you and thanks for everything you're doing on behalf of everyone in urgent care. Thank you, Llewellyn. It was an honor. Have a great day. You too. You've been listening to UCA's Urgent Care Leadership Podcast. Let's keep raising the bar on each other, and I'll see you next time.